why did Jesus use the terms ask, seek, and knock? Why is it important to pray for what God has already promised? How is knowing God's character important to our ability to pray in faith? And what is the golden rule? Murdoch and I tackle these questions and more on this episode of Your Church Friends. All right, welcome to Your Church Friends podcast. I am Chris. And I am Murdoch. And here we go. We're still going through the Sermon on the Mount. We're almost done, though. I think we have about three more episodes left of us actually talking about the Sermon on the Mount. We'll have a few guests come in between. Well, I feel like saying that we're almost done. Don't make everyone sad. I mean, I know... It's only three chapters. You got to stay in it for as long as possible. I think we are at this point probably about 19 episodes in, 19 to 20 episodes on the Sermon on the Mount. So that's like 20 weeks yeah. of recording. So we've been here for a while, but I'm glad it's been a good journey. <laughs> you were looking at me yeah. like, where are we trying to go with that? And I was like, I was trying to make it seem like we haven't been in it for that long. Don't be like, we're almost done. But yeah, we're almost done. But the Sermon on the Mount is so good. And hopefully anybody listening has gone through and read it, you know, a few times and just kind of soaked it in. Because for as much as we've been able to say, it's a ton that we haven't been able to say. So and not just reading it, study it too. A lot of the stuff that me and you bring up is because we've studied it, right? Yeah. So get in, looking at commentaries, hopping online, doing different things and using our brains when we hop online because there's so much ridiculousness on the internet. There really is. And I think this portion of Scripture is a good segue, that this portion of Scripture that we're looking at does allow for some very skewed interpretations, mm-hmm. if not looked at the context of what's being said and how it's being said, and even the real meaning behind some of the stuff. I think people look at it and, and can get a, a warped view of all of it. So we'll get into reading it. I don't know if you want to read it first. Or sure. If so you want to read Matthew it. chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 7, right? Yeah. 7-7. Seven, seven. This is Jesus. Fantastic. Red letters. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So out the gate, like for me, I guess I'll get into it here and then we'll go into everything else later down the road. But for me, the the miscued or the misview of this all is looking at those verses and, and seeing it as, for whoever whoever asks will receive, whoever seeks will will find, whoever knocks the door will be open, and then how much more your heavenly Father will give you good gifts to those who ask can kind of be looked at as like, well, if I pray long enough and if I pray enough, Jesus will give me everything I want. Right. And I guess the the kind of terminology for me that I think people look at this or what's being presented out there to the world now is. When I look at that, I know it's a good tool that the prosperity gospel uses. Right. And that kind of goes along with Mark 11, 22 through 24. Again, this is Jesus talking. It says, And Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast in the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted you. And other scriptures where Jesus says, anything that you pray for in my name, you know, God will hear it, he'll answer. I'm in heaven, you know, I'm waiting for your prayers. Like a lot of those get brought in. And like you said, that those can get really skewed for that prosperity gospel for a lot of things, but primarily prosperity gospel. To me, the prosperity gospel, when you look at things that are like not biblically sound teaching is probably one of the most damaging ones, in my opinion. But yeah, that the prosperity gospel is damaging. And I think it's because it takes our eyes off of God and off of the things that Jesus is actually talking about, seeking and asking for right here, right? And it's putting our eyes on the things of the world, the things that are temporal, which we've already seen in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't store up for yourself treasures here. Now, it doesn't mean that God won't bless us and that there won't, that there can't be an abundance here. But that if that's what we're thinking the point of the gospel is or what the focus of our prayers should be, is it just to take care of material needs in an abundant aspect? Uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty damaging because guess what? If you don't get those, all of a sudden your view of God, who this God who's supposed to answer all of your prayers, like 
what happens there? The, uh, that was one thing that I had written down here is that when we look at things for prosperity or the prosperity gospel, one of the damaging things done is that prayer is a tool to force God to grant prosperity. Like I use this as a tool for God. God, give me what I want now. And it's we create God, we turn him into our genie instead of our, our savior. We make him our grant me whatever I want type thing. And even so much with people who do kind of preach the prosperity gospel, a lot of it is works-based, right? It's the do more, pray more, consistently do stuff, tithe more, give to us more, and God will give to you more type things. And it's such a, it puts this idea that if I do all these things and then this doesn't happen, then where is God? And it hurts more than it actually does bring us closer to God and have a relationship with Him. And it actually just shows how little somebody following that has actually read the words of Jesus with a sound mind because Jesus says that it is very difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, right? So we're like, well, we want riches. We want this. We want prosperity. And it's like, you're making it harder for yourself <laughs> to like enter the kingdom of heaven and to see that. He's saying like, that's literally a difficult thing to do. And that the love of money, all kinds of evils come from that, right? So there's just so much about money that is like, if that's becoming our focus, I don't know. We already did a whole episode yeah, about, we did. about treasures and stuff, but, but I really think that it is a big thing because this gets used there. And it's such a good tie-in that Jesus has moved this message, this whole sermon from don't want stuff, don't want stuff, don't want stuff. Where you store your treasures are, there your heart will be. Watch how you judge others. First, self-examine yourself. And then he leads into this ask, seek, knock thing. And when looking at it by itself, yes, you can come up with the idea that whatever I ask for, Jesus is going to give me. But when you look at it in context, then you're starting to see that this isn't just about asking God to give you things. And I think you have the Luke counter of it where he says, instead of good gifts, it's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Right? So to, to me, when I look at this now and, I've, and, and when I focus in on what it really is saying, what Jesus is telling us is ask for, ask for the Beatitudes. Ask for these things. Ask for these things that are good, that are part of my will. Ask for the Beatitudes. Ask to be merciful. Ask to, to comfort those Ask to be a, the salt and the light here in this world. Ask mm-hmm. that this anger issue, that I wouldn't look at my brother and say, Raka or fool, that I would, I would uh, address that inwardly. Ask that I would learn to love my enemy. Seek those things out. Seek out wanting God instead of pursuing the lust of our flesh. Seek out a good praying relationship with him. And then God would give all these things to you. And I think it's looking for those things instead of looking for the materialistic things of the world. And I promise you, I was listening to everything you just said, and I'm fully on board. (laughs) But that little thing in the back of my head that just won't go away, (laughs) I'm going back to the whole prosperity thing. We'll come back to what you just said. But when you're saying like, oh, you need to tithe more into these ministries, Mm -hmm. right? And again, just going back to like, biblical Christian Jesus teaching is to give to the poor. And it's not about, hey, keep giving to your pastor. And even when Paul went around collecting the gifts from the different churches, it was very much the point was, hey, when I come around, have some money ready if you can, because there's a whole lot of suffering Christians that are going through some stuff back in Jerusalem. So I'm going to take that money and send it to them. Like it really was not about how a lot of these prosperity uh, preachers live. Like that is a bad and wrong thing. That just wouldn't go away as far as where the money is going and how that is. Um, But yeah, coming back to what you were saying is that to ask God for the things that he's already said that he wants to give us. And that as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is exposing our lack of those things, right? So he's going through all of this like, hey, be this kind of a person. And I like how you're saying that. Now he's saying like, hey, keep seeking and asking God that he would transform you into that type of a person. Without that, I think the idea, again, getting so caught up into wanting stuff or seeing this as more of my prayers being answered for the things that I want and not really looking at it at, from the focal point of praying for the things that he has already promised. When you pray that way, there, then you don't get disappointed when you don't get that unanswered prayer. Because for me, looking at keep asking, keep seeking, that's such a hard, hard, hard task of I keep coming to God and not seeing something happen. I lose hope in that over the course of time and years, right? Especially if I'm praying for such selfish stuff like more money or a bigger house or a bigger car. So all those things would do that. But if I'm praying for what God is already willing to give me and will willingly give me an abundance, right? 
Uh, I don't know what the verse it is, but it says, uh, if you want wisdom, pray for wisdom. That's in James, yeah. Yeah. And he's willing to give us that in abundance. So he's willing to abundantly give us a life that it, it, that where I can keep my oath, where I can say what I'm going to say and do what I'm going to do. Yeah. And just how you said, like praying for those things. As we were preparing for this, I was thinking about it when people say, oh, you know, you better be careful. If you pray for patience, God's going to give it to you or he's going to put you in a situation where you need it. So like you better be careful about praying for that. Mm -hmm. It's like I think that we need to correct the way that we speak about things because it's like we're painting patience in a negative light or being put in a situation where you need patience in a negative light. It's like, oh, yeah, it's all said in jest until everybody only says that about the thing. And really the words that we say and how we hear things like it gets planted in there. To where like when you are praying, maybe you're thinking about it and then you get into a situation where you need patience. Like, oh, I prayed about this or, you know, rather than awesome. God is transforming me. Like this is a difficult thing for me because like I have a character flaw. Like I don't want to be patient here. I don't want to be loving here. But what a great opportunity that I'm having. Right. And the spirit is speaking to me in this moment that before I blow up on my spouse or my kid or my colleague or my whatever, the person who's driving on the road. Right. The spirit's talking to me and changing me and giving me the opportunity to do that self-reflection you were talking Mm -hmm. about, right? And now I'm being different. And yeah, to pray for the things that God wants to give us and to be excited about that. And where I'm seeing it is expect to be put in the situations to where those prayers can be answered. And a lot of times the way that God answers prayer isn't just on a silver platter foot before you, right? It's cool. If you want that thing, I'm going to transform you into the type of person who can have that. I, I, for myself personally, like looking at this and for me, the the real joy I've gotten from us just doing this together is looking at the Sermon on the Mount in such a different perspective and light. And so when I kind of started doing my studying on this part and I heard that ask, you know, ask God to change you into these characteristics, he's not saying like, go ask me for all these other things, ask to be changed inwardly. I think he said transformed, right? Mm-hmm. To be Christ-like, to be the the kingdom culture here on this earth. The one thing I know I struggle with is my anger. So when we covered the anger episode, like that one was hitting home because, yeah, I I have a temper. I get mad. But I never really prayed for God to control that or to make my anger righteous. Yeah, right. It it doesn't say don't be angry. Angry and sin not. So like, yeah, God, how do I not sin in this situation? Like, what is this anger for and how's it coming? Yeah. So it it was really, I never really looked at it that way. So this this week after I did my studying for, for, for this episode, I actually started praying, like, God, help me with my anger because I get frustrated, you know, if the kids are kind of being crazy or jumping around or doing too much stuff. My, my son, Reed, constantly runs around the house, and he falls and hurts himself. <laughs> and for me, then there's the also, God, give me compassion because when I see him do something that I've told him stop doing and he hurts himself, I'm like, no, you deserved it. You, you fell, and I told you not to. So I'm learning to, like, have all this but not also get angry in that moment, and right? God is like... What's my character? What do you do, son, when I tell you not to do something? Yes, I've been telling you stop running and you're hurting yourself all the time. Yeah, I I get that part too. This is why I don't want to discipline them anymore because I'm getting like double, I'm disciplining, God's disciplining me. But in that moment is just learning how to handle the situation. So the kids have been kind of, I don't want to say mouthy, but they're very demanding and they don't talk very nicely to people. And it's annoying, but it's really a reflection of myself. So again, log in my eyes, speck in theirs. So last night in, in this moment of just kind of God working on me as I've prayed, how can I be better at this? I just talked to them in a rational, calm voice. It wasn't yelling and it was just saying, we need to be better with our words. Not just you guys, but me also. Learning to say thank you, please, using our manners. And it honestly felt better as a parent to do that than, than the way I was doing it. But it, what you were saying Giving those, when you pray for God, if I'm praying for God to actually help infiltrate my life and take out this anger and this root that, that's in there that causes me to have an outburst, I have to be expected to be put in those uh, situations to handle that. And that really goes with what we were talking about um, the last time with the judgment, right? Because we really brought up the point that there's an expectation that we will be trained up, that as students, we will be able to learn from our master and become like him. So yeah, it's all training, right? <laughs> it's all learning, and that's where it comes through, and it's going to come through the circumstances. Yeah, I really think that I've, I've kind of been doing this for a while when looking at in the pastoral role of trying to like get people with praying, I'm like pray for the things that you know God wants, and that's where if God makes a promise, 
it's a huge thing in the Bible is that God is faithful to his promises. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of times those promises come with stipulations as far as like, hey, you got to like live up to your side, but like, I'm here for you in this way. So like, hey, if God promised it, then you know you can pray for that because it's not just one of your like, oh, is this thing God's will or not God's will? It's like, if it's his promise, it's his will. Like pray into those. But I think that we can expand beyond some of that in a sense. I really think of uh, different times in the Old Testament where people weren't arguing with God, but they were kind of like, hey, you're going to do this thing. But based on who I know you to be, are you really going to do that, God? Like, are you really going to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? What if there's righteous people there? Are you the kind of God that's going to destroy righteous people? Was that It was Abraham, right? Yeah. When Lot was there. And he's like, you know, I'm going to get these numbers wrong because it's off the top of my head, but whatever, go read it for yourself. But he's like, what if there's 100 people and God's like, I won't destroy it. He's like, well, what if there's 50? He's like, I won't destroy it. He's like, well, what if there's 10? God's like, I won't. Right. But obviously there wasn't that many righteous people there. There was a lot in his family and they had to run away. But there was God saying like, hey, yeah, if, if that is the case, I won't do it. So I do think that in a way that we can wrestle with God in prayer or that a lot of times where it's because people prayed that things happen. I mean, if Elijah didn't pray, would the rain have stopped? If Elijah didn't pray, would the rain have started? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That prayer, there is such a power to it. But I really think to build up our foundations, because scripture says that we can learn to know what the will of God is. Right. I think that a really good way of learning what that is, is to stay within these promises and, you know, what's the fruit of the spirit and what, you know. That's what makes it the hard part of everything, though. Because when you look at praying, you know, I'm, I'm all, I'll start off praying for God's will. But then what happens when your loved one gets sick and you're praying and praying and praying? And they don't get better, you know, and they, they end up passing away. Did God answer your prayer? And that's, that's the tough part. But it's understanding, I think, the next portion of what he gets into, that illustration of the Father, that really separates and, and really helps us understand it. Because looking at it, he says, your Father in heaven is better than your, you know, an earthly father. And your earthly father, who is evil, you know, when the child comes asking for bread, would, who would give them a stone instead? Or if they asked for a fish, would give them a snake. So if you sinful know how to give good gifts, how much more your heavenly father will give good gifts to you. And it's framing that in the structure that I understand. And what Jesus is saying here is he's anchoring all this in into God's character and his goodness. Mm-hmm. And I think you brought it up with knowing God's will. Right. But in order to know God's will, we've got to know God. So if I don't properly know God, and I think, again, to backtrack into the prosperity idea, that, that people who preach that and teach that and believe it don't fully know God because if they know God, they understand everything that comes along with him and his character. Yes, he wants good for us, but sometimes good is discipline. Sometimes good is suffering. Sometimes good is no. If my child says, I want to run into the street when a car is coming, I have to say no, right? That's the protection of the father. Sorry, I'm just laughing because... Your daughter came and spent the night at our house and our daughters are together and we're pretty loose on a lot of like rules on different stuff. So they had a lot of candy and different things and boy, did she get a tummy ache. And she I, did. I think that she FaceTimed you yeah. literally as she was running to me going, I'm going to throw up. Uh-huh. So yeah, no, the guardrails are really good. <laughs> Sometimes it's good to tell your children no because you don't want them getting sick from a stomach ache. Yeah, then I was just like, man, my daughter's uh, stomach must be made of iron from all the junk. Because... <laughs> it has to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it is the truth behind it that sometimes God has to tell us no. And that still means he's still good. My father is still good when he tells me no. It's not that he loves me less. It's just that he knows that if I give you this because you want it, he wouldn't be a good father. He wouldn't be a good father and it wouldn't help you at all. And I also like the idea of how it frames it to where, uh, so if you sinful, and the NIV translation says, uh, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your good father? And then he kind of frames it back into the idea that like, look, you're not good, but you still do good things. And it just made me think of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what good teacher, what must I do to inherit the kingdom, right? And Jesus says, well, only God is good. And he's like, okay. And then he said, well, keep, do you know the laws? Keep these, these, and these. He said, oh, yeah, I've done all those. And in that moment, Jesus tells him only God is good. And he agrees, okay, yeah, only God is good. But then in the next moment, he instantly goes into the idea of like, but wait, no, I'm good too. And I think understanding here, Jesus says, is saying to me that if if I want to really know the Father I and and 
going back into the context of judging others, I've got to really get a good grasp of who I am and understand that apart from God, I am not good. That everything inside of me wants to go towards evil. So again, ask to do these good things, help the needy, help the poor, love my enemy, be the salt and light in in this world. Pray for those things, and then my good father would give those to me. Leads me into praying for other things, but even if my father doesn't, that faith of Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to say, I know my God can, I know it's possible, but even if he doesn't, in my prayers, it really shapes and structures what happens, because then I don't get disappointed when, when things don't come to fruition. But yeah, that part about even if God doesn't, and that's a really... That's a point of maturity, really, that I see who God is, that, man, he's God. He's the creator over all. He's king above all kings, right? And that's who he is. He's the judge. I don't get to judge the judge, especially because if I look at myself and judge myself first, it's like I'm nowhere near good, mm-hmm. like that was saying, if you who are evil or wicked, but to really come in and I think that the maturity comes there because of trust. And I think that we've hit on this for the past few episodes, really trusting God to be able to go, hey, I think that I know what I would want here. I think I understand something about your will here. And I'm doing as much as I can in obedience and, you know, following through in repentance and stuff. So if I'm doing all of that and I'm coming to you and making my request known, whatever happens, I just got to trust you with it. And I think that's a sign of maturity, especially if you can stand up to uh, scrupulation. If you can stand up to maybe non-believers going like, oh, this God of yours, he just doesn't hear your prayers. You've been praying for that thing and it's not happening. Like some God you have, look, it's not even there. And it's like, no, he's there. I've seen him come through on other things and I just, I'm not him. I don't have the knowledge. His ways are above my ways. And yeah, that's not a cop out. I just honestly need to trust him in this situation. That's a really good point. We're getting close to the break time. So let's jump back in onto that point. I know you want to touch a little bit more on the on the wicked part too when we come back in. Oh, yes, I do. So uh, we'll, we'll go take our commercial break. I think we got the YCF Kids News hitting us with what's the worst and best parent or what's the worst and best present your parents have given you. Welcome to another episode of the YCF Kids News. Today's top story, what's the best or worst present your parents have given to you? But first, let's go to Remy for the weather. Remy, how is this week shaping up for us? Well, the Alpha and Omega Doppler 10,000 is currently showing that this week we are looking at a high of 82 degrees and a low of 76 degrees with clear skies and a smile on the sun. Thanks, Remy. Now to Reed, who is on the street covering our top story. Reed here with Reed on the street. I'm outside today trying to find out what's the best or worst present your parents have given you. Excuse me, can you tell me what's the best present your parents have given you? My best present is a Nerf gun. Do you have a moment to tell me what's the worst present your parents gave you? My worst present that my parents ever got me was a robe that didn't fit me. What? You said you liked that present. Can you tell me what's the best or worst present your parents have given you? The best present my parents got me were their love and affection, and the worst present my parents got me was coal. All right, Casey. As you can see, parents can give you good presents, but also bad ones. Thanks, Reed. When we return, a fish or a snake, which do you prefer? All right, we are back after the break. I hope you guys like the YCF Kids News. Uh, That's fantastic. And as we're coming back, I think it's kind of a weird segue coming from the kids that now I'm going to jump back and be like, hey, you who are wicked or sinful or evil or whatever your translations say. But I really think that that's something that is lost in American Christianity is the biblical view and what Jesus puts out multiple times. Like you were just saying with the rich young ruler, like, hey, none are good except for God. And here Jesus is saying, if you, collective you, who are evil, who are wicked, who are sinful, you're like, that? is the biblical view of mankind as a whole. But I looked up that word wicked, just in case anyone was like, no, that's like, that's just a translation thing. It literally, the usage is evil, bad, wicked, malicious, slothful. Its root word is ponos, which comes from pain. 
So the word properly is like pain ridden, emphasizing the inevitable agonies and misery that always go with evil. So Jesus is like, hey, you guys who are dealing with all of the miseries, the agonies from your own evil doing and everything. If you guys live in that kind of a world and you're that type of a person that's going on, obviously he's talking to Jews who go and make sacrifices. Animals die to atone for the sins of the people. Like, right, death is happening. He goes, that's where you're at, but you still know how to be good to your children. How much more your heavenly father who's not struggling with all those things, who can see clearly, doesn't have the log or the speck in his eye, right? Knows what's good, isn't tempted. We know that from scripture. God isn't tempted to do evil. It's like, how much more is your father going to do what's right? Uh, That's the important part of all of this, though, is that knowing God. And if I know God, God's goodness, and I know God is loving then I, then I start to embrace these attributes and, and all that really prompts me to pray to God. And, and I think we get so caught up that my prayers are petitions. And mm-hmm. I think those are two separate things. Right. Because it says, let your prayers and petitions. Yes. So I, I think we get caught up that every time I pray, I have to ask for something. But what about if we just spend moments in time just acknowledging who God is and praying about who he is and, and not ask for a single thing, not bring anything to him. Just talk about his greatness, right? Then I start to know God more, and then I start to, to have this real relationship with God that when I do bring something to him, it's not going to be something that's going to harm myself so that I throw a fit when he doesn't answer. But I come there, and, and I think it's going to change the whole perspective of how we deal with things in our relationship with God and how we pray, what we pray about, and when we pray about it. But knowing that he's good is such a huge part of the prayer life. Because when I know he's good and I know he's there for me, then it gives me a genuine passion and obsession to enter into his presence because I know he's good. Well, you know that he's good and you know that he loves you, right? Because if you don't know that he loves you, you're not going to want to enter into his presence. You're not going to spend the time. You're going to feel weird asking for stuff, right? And for me, because the Bible sets it up this way as far as like our relationship with Jesus and the church, that he's the groom, we're the bride, and that there's a covenant relationship there. And I really just think about, you know, going to your wife or going to your husband. If you're only ever going and just asking for stuff and asking for stuff and you're not spending time and you're just asking for stuff and making those expectations. And then, you know, if they don't meet your expectation or you're asking for something that's outside of anything that could possibly. Right. But you're not caring to know why you're not caring to for you to do something on their behalf. But if you're just coming and asking, 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 it's like that's not really a relationship. You don't know if they love you. Like, are they doing that? Why Mm -hmm. would they answer that, right? Is it just because they're married to you, right? But what you're saying is going and spending time. And I think that that's what Jesus elevates as the number one command is to love God, that we are to love him. Go spend time with God. Like, I don't know. I try to give my wife compliments and to do nice things for her and for me to do for her, right? Like, are we going into the presence of God in our prayer time? and? I don't know if it's right to say complimenting him, but right, right. praising him, worshiping him. Yeah, I think that the intimacy coming from that, and then when it comes time to ask, we know his character and what we're asking. Yeah, I think it's all tied in. And we know it'll line up. I I read this, uh, it's by Tom Wright. He said, but for most of us, the problem is not that we are too eager to ask for the wrong things. The problem is that we are not eager enough to ask for the right things. Mm Mm-hmm. And to me, when I read that, that stood out exactly what we kind of do as people when we pray. We're, 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 we are definitely willing to come and ask God for all the wrong things. But I think when I ask God for the wrong things, it's because my relationship isn't in tune. I like you brought the wife thing into it because, yeah, if any relationship, if you're always going to someone just asking and asking and asking, at some point they're going to say, this isn't a real friendship here. There's something missing here. You just want from me. And mm-hmm. I think we talked about making Jesus our genie. But I, I, when we were talking and you were talking about like evil and the wickedness in us, it just Jeremiah 17, 9 came to my head and it said, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Mm-hmm. And it just stood out to me understanding that, yeah, I am not good in the sense that my heart will always fight that fight of wanting what the flesh desires. And I will struggle through that. But the more I start praying for these things to God to break that mold, that battle will be less of a struggle. It will be there. And I know there'll be times, even as my relationship with God has gotten so much better, that there are still times where I've prayed for things that just, I know they're not within his will. I'm praying selfishly. But now there are things that looking at it deeper that I'm like, oh no, I need to pray for this more. 
I do need to pray for more compassion, loving my enemies, and things like that, because that's where God starts really working in us and removing kind of that idea. But really, it is to me the the big concept of it all is knowing that our Father is good. Yeah, but and going from that in Jeremiah, right, that the heart is deceitful. So we can convince ourselves all kinds of stuff. We can convince ourselves that we're good, that we're doing God's will, that we're doing anything. But if we start from the point of humility, as far as just seeing like, hey, you know what, there's something in me that desires wicked, and I have yet to fully discipline myself away from that thing, right? I want to discipline myself more to follow the Spirit and to deny the flesh, as you were talking about those. I mean, a lot of that's in the book of Romans. Go read 6 through 8 through 9, you know, somewhere around that section, you're going to get a lot on that. But to be eager to pray for the right things, tying those things in together, if we realize, hey, if I give an honest assessment of myself, here's where I'm at. If I look at what Jesus is putting out before me, I see where that is. I want to eagerly learn that life, grow into that, live that way. That's where in Luke, in the kind of uh, parallel thing to what we're going through in Matthew, Jesus says, then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, hey, a friend of mine, he, it didn't say hey. <laughs> <laughs> you say to him, that, that's me. A friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from the bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And then he goes on to say, I tell you, keep asking, you'll receive what you ask for, keep seeking, you'll find, keep on knocking, the door will be open. So when we're looking at to get those good things, if I'm realizing, hey, I am not Christ-like enough, God has these promises, the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, all of those things are there. And I see how I'm operating in my thought life. I'm seeing how I'm operating in my emotions. I'm seeing what words are coming out of my mouth. I'm seeing what actions I'm doing, how I'm spending my time. I need to go to God in prayer and be endlessly persistent. It says shameless in our persistence. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever been that way to where you really want something from someone and like you keep texting or you keep calling. Maybe you just show up at their house, mm -hmm. but like you're persistent or it's Black Friday right now. I don't know how many people were like, no, I got to get online. I got to buy those things. I got to buy that. And it's like, you really want it. And you're making sure you got it. Like what, how far did you drive? Like, what are you doing? How much money did you just spend? Cause you really want that thing that it's not a need. It's not going to, you know, give you what God can give you. Where is that same level of persistence towards like, man, I need to be more patient. I need to be more loving. I need to be more righteous, more holy. Like all those things that you were listing out, right? To go to God and is like, God, I'm, I'm here again. At every opportunity I'm coming to you, I, I need that right now. Yeah. Like, I need that right now, God. I can't, I can't, like, I can't go through my day. I don't want to go through another day suffering under this lust. I don't want to go through another day suffering under this anger. I don't want to go through another day, right, bad-mouthing people or gossiping or any of these things. Like, I need, I need this. I, I think in your, the Luke, right, and I mentioned it earlier, it says, uh, instead of good gifts, it says, gives the Holy Spirit. And as you're saying that, what it all dawned on me was the idea that when I pray for more of the Holy Spirit, because we all have the Holy Spirit. If once you accepted Christ, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and he's living in us. But praying for more of that characteristics of the Holy Spirit to come out of me. And that's what I think Jesus is really trying to get across, that the more you pray and you pray, your Father will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit to bring all these things out of us so that I'm no longer chasing after the things that I think are important or the world. Timothy Keller, he put it this way, a commitment to put God first and love and follow him supremely is necessary before God can grant our prayers without harming us. If we are living lives in which God does not have our highest allegiance, then we will use prayer instrumentally, selfishly, simply to try to get the things that, that may be already ruining our lives. And that to me is, it, it sums up a lot of what we're talking about is that this idea that how are you using prayer? So I guess the real questions that I have before we jump into the, the golden rule, how are you using prayer? What's your main purpose when you pray? And is, is praying about God? Mm -hmm. Because if, it's, if you're not checking any of those things, if you're not looking at any of that, then yeah, I'm going to use prayer as an instrument. I'm going to use it selfishly. I'm going to, I like that word too, the simply. You're, you're, this is, you're going before God and all I can do is say, God, give me that raise because I really, really want it. But what if that raise isn't in his will? What if 
another door is going to open up somewhere down the road. Or again, what if he's a good father and he sees that, hey, you're wanting too much candy. Yes. Like, I see your character. <laughs> you, you're wanting more of that. And if you get that, look at how you're already spending your money. Yes. Look at, you know, sometimes we need the raise because like, hey, like, you know, but again, different situations. And, and knowing he, again, being the good father, knowing that if I give this to you, it will be good for you. Right. For individuals, right? So if we separate it, like people, if I give this to you, it will be good for you. But if I give this to that person, it's not going to be good but for them. dad, how come he got it? Right. And we, we fall into all these traps. So I think the importance of all this, what Jesus is saying, when I look at all this is really, again, ask for what God can give us already, what he's promised, because he will give us those things. And let that then structure and, and shape your relationship with God to then move on to the next things. Because again, you won't get, be disappointed when I know when I'm praying for God's will. I won't get disappointed because whatever his will is, I will be able to accept that. Jesus did it himself in the garden, right? Lord, take this cup away from me, but not my will, yours be done. And I think all that really needs to come into play in our own lives. As Before we get to the, the golden rule, really building off of what you said, and even that Tim uh, Keller quote that you had, is that for our highest allegiance to be to Jesus, and that when we're praying for God's will on things that we know are his will, and we're praying there, seeking to have fully, was it fully loyal or all of our allegiance going to Jesus and the asking for the Holy Spirit to come in, what we're going to realize is that we're praying for his will. And then as we live life, we're going to see, oh, here's where my will, here's where my flesh is coming up in opposition to that. So the prayer is for the Holy Spirit to rule over our lives. Like you said, we already have the Holy Spirit, but is the Holy Spirit ruling? is our allegiance to Jesus through the power of the Spirit. Because Scripture tells us that the flesh and the Spirit are always going to war against each other. So it's just in our prayer life, are we allowing the Spirit to come in and rule over our lives that we can truly say, it's not me who lives, but Christ is living in me and through me. Yeah, that's the goal, because that's what Jesus did. He was anointed by the Spirit, and he was, you know, he went about only doing the will of his Father. So that, that's our goal. Right. Yeah. Which takes us into, you know, that, that is a good transition into the golden rule because here then Jesus ends all of this, which is when you read it, sometimes doesn't seem like it fits. But when you really look at it again in context of what's going on, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This, in, this is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. And it's, it, it's, it's kind of Putting all of this together, this idea, do I treat my neighbors, my coworkers, family members, people on opposite side of politics, my enemy, those who have wronged me, and so on, the way that I want to be treated? You know, it, it does. It, to me, it boils it all down to that. So Jesus says, you could sum up the laws and love God and love others. And this is, to me, is that second half. Mm -hmm. Because that first half already, if I'm asking and seeking, then that's me showing how much I love God. So that one's in play. And then this is the second half. Hmm, I like that. And, and this is him saying that all that. And then again, this is what's taught in the law of the prophets. So everything, this is the law. This is the prophets. This is God's will. This is Jesus's ethics above and beyond. Love others and do for them what you would want them, what you would want yourself to be treated. I, I, don't, I don't want someone to talk to me rudely. I don't want someone to tell me I'm wrong or attack me because I see things on a different level than they do. I don't, I don't want any of that. But here Jesus is telling us, if you don't want that, don't do that to other people. It really brings in the loving others and the compassionate heart, which I think ties in with a don't judge. But to have that compassionate heart, which is actually part of the new covenant that Jesus came to enact, is that God would take out our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh, that we wouldn't be hard-hearted, but that we'd actually be able to feel, so that when we look at somebody else, we're able to see where they're at and go, if I was there, what could be the best thing that somebody could do for me? And we're able to play both sides of it, because we can go, hey, if I was that person and I knew that somebody had the resources that I have, what would be the best way for them to help me? And I would say that 10 times out of 10 that I ever ask myself that question, I will end up doing a whole lot more than I would have done otherwise. Yeah. If I don't ask the question, I don't get the answer. Hey, <laughs> that goes with it. Ask and seek and not, right. right? If I need, I ask the question and really seek out for there that it's, hey, how do I love this person? Mm -hmm. How would I want to be loved if I was that person? And 
I'm even going to tie it into evangelism. I think that you have a couple notes on that. But man, if if you were truly somebody who was lost, who didn't know Jesus, who didn't know it was right, if you were a slave to your sin, you knew nothing about a righteous life, and that's just where you're at, and you're trying to do the best with what you have, because even though you might be going about it wrong, there's coping mechanisms, there's everything going on. For the most part, people are trying to get by and do the best that they can for themselves and for their families, even with all of the turmoil that comes with it. If I was in that situation, what's the best thing that could happen? I'd say probably somebody lovingly coming and trying to share Jesus with me, trying to show me and live out what the church is and invite me into a loving community that is something different than the world. Maybe not coming like, oh, you do what? You're sleeping around? Oh, and you drink a lot? Yeah, yeah I don't know, man. You're, you're a mess. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like, yeah, I know that. <laughs> like, I don't like my life. I'm trying to escape it right now. As you were talking, I just kept thinking of examples, right? So if someone's, this happens a lot. Uh, for me, it does personally. So maybe I'll just talk for myself here. I see someone who wants money, who's either living on the streets or homeless. And my first thoughts are always going into the judgmental thoughts of, oh, they're probably just a scam artist or just trying to make money. Uh, they're, not, they're not really homeless. Or what if they're going to use it for drugs, right? So that's my first thought. But the real thing that Jesus is telling us is to, to stop doing that, put yourself there and say, if I was that person, how would I want to be treated? Would I want to be snubbed at or looked down at because I'm here and have people judgmentally looking at me and saying, oh, you're going to just use that for drugs, so I'm not going to give you money? Is that how I would want to be treated if I was genuinely in that spot? You know. And the other one, too, then thinking about the church and oh, how so many, and we've talked about this in the hypocrisy how so many of us struggle to own up to the sins we're living because of the idea that if I get caught, if this gets exposed, how are people going to view me? How are people going to do this? But what if all of us, knowing that that's a real thing, put ourselves, when someone comes forward and says, I've been struggling nonstop with this sin and I don't know how to break free from it, instead of saying, well, that's just because you're living too much in your flesh and coming at them with harsh words, if I was that person, how would I want to be treated? How would I want to be reconciled with God? so that I can break free of this thing. I, I think really when it comes to this golden rule thing, it goes beyond the simple, the simple thought of, hey, just treat people how you want to be treated. But it's, it's God saying, put yourself where those people are so that you can learn the compassion you need to, to have, have for them, so that you can be a person who's there for them. Because in both those situations, I think the church is not doing its part the right way. And I'm speaking again, I'll speak 100% for myself, because I've come off wrong in all those areas in my own. So have I. And I think, again, with most of us, look, and if that's not you, pray for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, as you were talking, it also just made me think, because I've thought about this a lot, is that life gets hard and getting overwhelmed and, again, trying to do the best and, you know, everything there. And at times I've just thought, like, man, like, where is somebody who like loves me and cares for me or who can come and help me? Like, you know, and it just seems like all of us are so busy with our lives. And I don't know if this is a Southern California thing. I know that we live at the speed of light here compared to other parts of the country or even other parts of the world. But just to think of like, man, I've got so much going on and it's hard for me to ask for help. And but I need help. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's a big thing for me is just like, I know that I need help. It's hard for me to ask for help. I see the other people busy. I don't feel right asking for help. And I know that that's how I would want to be loved and what I, I need, right? Because I can get super overwhelmed and trying to do stuff. So for me to go and realize, hey, you know what? Other people are feeling that way too. Can I put aside all of the stuff that I feel like I need to do and put my eyes on someone else and actually pay attention to people because you know what? I can go a whole week, I can go a whole month, I can go a whole six months, I can go a whole year without going and spending time with some people who are very close to me. Not just going and spending time towards like, oh cool, we got together, we got to spend time, but going a step beyond that and be like, hey yo, I know that you're not going to tell me about it, but what's going on? Can I help you out with anything? Like I've set aside this Saturday, or is there anything coming up for you? Like can I be there for you? Whether it's time or whether it's money or whether it's a different resource, because I know that that's a way that a lot of people like... That's what love is. You're going and helping somebody. That made me really just think about it right now. Uh, even putting it into the framework of what Jesus is saying, love others the way you would want or mm -hmm. treat others the way you would want to be treated. And that concept of what you're talking about, like I, I can get busy, I can get over, do a lot and get forget about the people around me. But you know what I don't forget is I don't forget about thinking about myself. Mm -hmm. 
So maybe we can start thinking about others as much as we're thinking about ourselves to be there to help out, to, to be the support that others need. Because you're right. How many of us have been at moments where, man, if someone just was, would reach out right now, I really need this. Been at moments. I live in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So the, that real concept of stop thinking so much about yourself, thinking about what you need or what you want. Yeah, a lot of it's once. Because then it, it even goes up to what Jesus is saying, you know, ask for the things that God will give you. So stop being focused on your wants. Stop being focused on yourself and really start putting your mind on others and what God wants. Dude, my mind is just being blown as we're going through this. I don't know how much time we have and it's just like getting all excited at the end, which is kind of how I felt like, oh, we're going to tackle the golden rule at the end of this episode because <laughs> there's a lot in it. But Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and everything else will be added to you, right? He says, stop looking at everything else, seek first the kingdom. And when this is the golden rule. He's saying this is how you live. And kind of what we're drawing out is, hey, go and love other people. Put your focus on them and do that. That's part of seeking the kingdom. And it just really goes into my mind. But it's like, but then I won't have enough time to like do what I need to do. Or I'm going to be at some kind of lack or there's going to be whatever. And Jesus goes, no, this is the upside down kingdom, right? You mm-hmm. go and do for others because more blessed to give than to receive. And your father sees all of it. And he's going to honor that. And we actually see that get played out in the book of Acts to where people were going and selling their possessions and selling their land and going and giving to others. And it says that nobody had any need. Nobody was at a point of lack, but everybody's needs were met. And it's just like, maybe the thing that will get me what I need is going out and making sure other people have what they need. Mm. And that trusting God that like, hey, he's called me to live a selfless life of love to serve people and love people and that he's only given to me to provide for others and trusting that, hey, if I'm obedient with the little that he's given me, he's going to entrust me with more and he's going to meet those needs going back to, again, I will be the type of person who can handle that and be at that place. Oh, it all just came together. It really did. That was a really good point. But and now I need to go live it. And that's where it comes down. That's where it gets hard. Because it, the, I, for me, I'm, I'll wrap up my whatever I'm going to say. I'll be done after this if you want to jump in with anything else. But for me, it really comes down to, again, the Sermon on the Mount is making us kingdom people. Mm-hmm. Kingdom people, not, not earthly people, not citizens of earth, not citizens of America, not a, a person who belongs to the state of California, not anything that I want to add. Because if I add anything to I am a child of God, I'm going to even remove the word Christian. If I am anything other than a follower of Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. then I am trying to add me to the equation. I'm trying to add something to that, saying that just being a follower of Jesus isn't enough. And Jesus is saying, this this is the culture. This is the way my followers live. They don't hate their enemies. They don't lust. They don't get divorced. They keep their oaths. They love their enemies so much that they're going to get on their knees and pray for them. They go above and beyond. And when they give to people, they're not doing it because they want the attention or glory. They're doing it because they're just blessed. What was it? Better to give than to receive. That's the reason why they're doing it. It's a kingdom culture. And then when they do all this in their life, they're asking me to give them these characteristics. They're asking me and seeking the Holy Spirit. They are knocking until the Holy Spirit fills them to these characteristics overflow. And when they're seeking and asking, they're loving me. And then when they start implementing it and treating other people the way they want to be treated, they're loving others. Sums up the laws and the prophets. And in all of that, Jesus is saying again, I've came to fulfill the law, mm-hmm. not abolish the law. And in this statement, that's the way we have to live. That, that's the way we are called to live. I love God. I love others to the point where I will take myself out of my position and put myself in theirs and help them the way I would want to be helped. And that's what he wants us to do. And I think that's the main thing. The, the one thing I've learned the most from the, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus is calling us to be kingdom people. And I've got to stop being Chris. I've got to stop being who I am so that way God can shine out through me. It's funny because like the insecure part is just like, I wonder who's listening. Like, these are a couple pastors and this guy just like, oh man, it's all clicking for me. I'm supposed to love other people. And it's like, I'm finally getting it yeah, after 20 plus years. I'm finally years. getting it. I'm supposed to follow Jesus and love people selflessly. And as you're saying, to be a kingdom people is just the kingdom, the culture, actually living in a society like that, which is what the church is supposed to be. And it's a hard thing 
to go because like honestly we call it the american church because it's american right mm-hmm. like we are very much an american culture who also happen to be christian and when it comes to this thing of like hey selflessly giving yourself to somebody else and trusting that your needs will be met too it's a difficult thing because you need to be really vulnerable because hey man i'm gonna i've honestly been burned so many times like tens of thousands of dollars gone and never seeing that come back or just like putting yourself out there and just burned and burned and burned. Now, granted, a lot of those people weren't Christians, but some of them were, at least they claimed to be. So it's a hard thing when looking at like, well, I want to live this way because not only do we need to trust God, which is ultimately where it needs to be, but I think on some level we're like, can I actually trust these people around me that I can just fully give myself to them and they'll give back? But I think that we don't know unless we do it. Mm-hmm. And I also am convinced that it's not about what we think about it or commanded to. Right. Now, figuring out how that looks in today's world, right? Because here we are, 2020, about to be 2021 in America, right? There's so many things that are available to us, so many different options, so many different whatever. And I think that that's where I'm just going to end it out. That's uh, yeah. where we need to pray for the things that we know God has for us. Yes. And then we'll be able to see clearly the other things. I like that you keep bringing up the counterculture. And I, I just, man, it's just been sticking in my head so much that that's what the church needs to be. It is counterculture to think of give to others because our society, our culture tells us, no, you, you go after and you get for you and you look after you and you, you know you are number one. But Jesus's culture isn't that. It's he's number one. You give to others and then I will take care of you. And if you trust me, do those things and watch me provide for you in ways that you can never comprehend. And that in that statement, that's not saying prosperity. Right. That's saying provide for you the things that you need. Yeah, that's all I've got. I like how that was another point after your last point. Yeah, yeah no, that came in when you, you were talking about the, you keep seeing the the counterculture. And, and for some odd reason, you know, they, we've got like a, that cancel culture going on in America right now. And, and I just want to start the trend of like, no, Christians, can we just start the trend of being counterculture? Because we, that's what's really needed is being people who are counter the culture we're living in. I'm really just going to say this last thing and then we can yeah, end no, it. We'll wrap up. But there's a, I couldn't even tell you what Christian hip hop artist it is, but there's a lyric in one of his songs and it goes, you call yourself a rebel, but what do you, but you do what the world does. What do you rebel against? Because there's a lot of people, oh man, I'm a rebel. I'm a this, I'm a that. It's like, everybody's doing what the world does. Like really the gospel people, the kingdom people, we're the true rebels. Yeah. And it's so crazy because we're rebels by loving. <laughs> <laughs> we're be a rebel by love. Yeah. That's what we are. All right. I'm Chris. And I'm Murdoch. We are your church friends. Thanks for listening. We could have really went on for like another hour yeah. with that topic. <laughs> Maybe we should do like He's got those luxurious used cars. He's got those lavish used cars. He's got those glorious used cars. And he's got the used car for you. Who you ask? Well, it's Jimbo of Jimbo's Used Car Lot. Sure, they're a little rusty and maybe filled with moths, but don't discredit them. Jimbo guarantees his used cars will soon be the treasures in your eyes. You'll never have to worry about thieves breaking in and stealing these gems. Don't buy a new car and let monthly payments be the master of your money. Buy a used car at Jimbo's and show the world where your treasures really are. Jimbo's used car lot is adjacent to the Beef Gristle Mill across the street from the Anger Emporium. Come by and find your treasure today.